Ladies and gentlemen, allow me to bring to you Supreme. What's up, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Supreme Decisions Legal Minute Podcast, and it's your host, Supreme Decisions. And today, I'm actually in Dallas, Texas, at one of my favorite places, and it's the Rolex, I guess, complex over here in Dallas, is downtown, right down the block from the American Airlines Arena with a Davos Mavericks play at and all that good stuff. Well, anyway, tonight or this morning, I'm going to speak about something that while it should be a thing of normality, it's something that many of us go through and not actually have a full opportunity to actually enjoy I guess that would be a word because we're going to talk about something but from two vantage points and it's called vigorous to malicious defense and we're going to talk about the example of the evolution of legal principles and just like I've been doing this is actually coming from the Montana Law Review most of us don't understand where we're going to get certain information from but these are the type things that we need it's not just law reviews from Harvard or Princeton or Cornell there are other people that are actually experiencing practicing and explaining law in a form that allows people to get it in its simplest form and the best part of it it helps you better understand what it is that you are trying to do and when you are trying to practice yourself well tonight again or this morning we get an opportunity to delve into something because most people know the reason why I do the YouTube channel and why I'm putting out information the way I do is because while information is free you can get information overload if you don't understand how the information you're getting is applied or how to apply it properly or in a context which is easily understood because there's a reason there's a cost for law school there's a reason that context is important because even most attorneys they'll tell you a lot of the things that I talk about many of them don't understand it on the level that I'm giving it because while they're taught it they're not taught application on certain aspects now when we're talking about vigorous defense or malicious defense one of our constitutional and legal rights as a human being is the right to a vigorous defense and what we're looking at in our current climate is that evolving through changing social conditions and shifting political winds malicious defense is becoming prominent for the rich and the wealthy because many of us are subjected to public pretenders 
that are overworked, underpaid, and they're just to lose or facilitate a deal for the prosecution, which allows them to have high winning percentages and allow them to look good for their corporate job after they finish ruining the lives of the domestic family. Now, when we're talking about this, it goes into how I pretty much prepare certain aspects of defense from filing a motion of discovery to setting up map hearings or even multiple issues within a map hearing or a suppression hearing when you're talking about setting up things to get certain information that is not given to you. I'm going to get into things on what to do if they don't turn over discovery. I'm going to get in things to do if or what happens when discovery is not turned over. But I'm also going to go into liability for when discovery is not turned over. Because while those are ploys that they're doing not just for the poor, they're doing it for the wealthy as well. But we're talking about now getting into the sense of allowing them to do that. Go ahead and do that. Because now it's going to be death by a thousand cuts. And it's going to be done with paper. And a lot of times what they're doing is trying to be vague. But as a defense or someone on defense, you are going to be specific as often as possible on every aspect of the legal process. Now, a lot of these are looked at as procedural abuses, <laughs> procedural abuses and motion wars. Now, a procedural abuse would be the cherry picking of a case, who you are going to prosecute, who you are not going to prosecute, the length of one sentence, the deal that you're going to offer, the requirement of payment that's going to be set out for you. These are things that are set up and most people have no context or even ability to help what happens from that. And then we have this thing of the genesis of the process arose out the problematic legal right that a defendant enjoys to a vigorous defense. The right embraces a fundamental legal concept to which the current legal community is closely tied. This is what I am talking about when I say piranha don't eat piranha. Because in the context of all of this, you're asking a buddy to stand in front of another buddy and take your side. This is why you have to understand not only the processes of the police, you have to understand the process of the prosecutor. And I apologize for my language, <laughs> my horrible accent. But also you have to understand the process of the people that are representing your interests because you are the employer, not the employee. They have to follow your rules, your strategy, your guidelines, not the other way around. They can offer ideas, but ultimately the decision is yours because what happens is they are making deals with your life, your financial ability your well-being, 
and not necessarily in your best interest and even in civil matters the one thing most prosecutors and judges don't like is the defense attorney's ability to purposely delay litigation now you're going to hear me say things later if you haven't already heard me say but you're definitely going to hear me say them later where i speak about being specific i understand the context of words and the power that these words allow you're actually going to hear me in a motion to compel state something that asking for this material will not delay but in fact prove to speed up this matter as one of the things that we're going to do for that requirement why because the defense attorneys purposely delaying litigation this is also the reason why we file for speedy trial because when you allow delay after delay after delay and then they're not turning over information guess what now has to happen if i can't properly prepare we can't litigate there can be no litigation because there lies the absence of a fair trial now what happens in civil cases mostly a defense attorney generate unnecessary expense to discourage lawsuits or to encourage settlements now when we're talking about this in the aspects of criminal law the prosecutor generally unnecessarily generate expenses to discourage going to trial and encourage plea bargains now it's amazing how this is a tactic that they hate for a defense attorney to use but at the same time this is the exact practice that most prosecutors are trained to use i'm going to say that again this is a tactic the delaying creating unnecessary expense to discourage lawsuits and to encourage settlements is the one thing they hate but at the same time the prosecution will create higher expenses by causing you to miss multiple days of work have you sit into a courtroom threaten your livelihood threaten you with jail time threaten your family structure and to encourage you to take a plea bargain but it's hated when it's done to them now this ain't no fun when the duck got a gun right and then some offense attorneys use deliberate tactics as a matter of course and are obstinate as a matter of practice these are the exact same tactics that prosecutors use in criminal cases defense attorneys are employing in civil cases so when we're talking about this in the context of vigorous or malicious defense it's going to be a shift between criminal and civil as far as my talk what we're reading on is the actual thing of the civil aspects of it but i have to give you the criminal context of it because that is where my specialty lies so 
understand malicious defense evolves from the natural progression of the right of vigorous defense in modern circumstances because every man has the right to a vigorous defense that is why there is a legal process you have the right to challenge every step of the process the problem is no one likes being challenged no one likes you not just accepting what they're doing and that's actually one of the issues we have in this country now everybody wants their bullshit accepted and we can't challenge it or have our own mind state because those that can think for themselves are a problem because even in legal principles evolution against a background against social upheaval and circumstances the principles that we are talking about are the actual practices that are set before us day to day day in day out in every courtroom around the country because we're talking about revenue generation we're talking about asset forfeiture we're talking about the building of communities on the backs of the community without due process because when you have a public defender comes in and I told you every case no matter what requires 100 hours no matter how you cut it 100 hours has to be spent on that case if it's a traffic ticket 100 hours that is two weeks and half of a Wednesday you're talking about a full 12 and a half days that you're going to have to spend eight hours a day on that matter no matter what it is because you're going to challenge every aspect of if it's a traffic stop let's say let's say it's a speeding ticket not only do you want discovery you want to let them know you're going to represent your own interests you're going to let them know you want a speedy trial you're also going to do things such as nitpick the evidence you do receive you're going to nitpick the evidence you don't receive you're going to go through the police report you're going to go through the comments that are made in that report you're going to challenge the gun you're going to challenge the stop you're going to challenge the aspects of the officer's reputation you're going to do things that are within the legal guidelines of law and that is the lawful means of attacking and challenging these are the things that are not liked whether it is criminal or it's civil because even if it's civil you have the opportunity to make them prove their side and that is the one thing you I constantly tell you you cannot argue with yourself because when there's a contract you can't dis diswrite the contract you can't say oh no I didn't say that it's written in black and white it's signed it's stamped it's sealed there was an agreement there was an offer there was money that was exchanged that contract is now binding these are things that they want to do away with because it is not in their favor when you're challenging them to live up to the things that they said they're going to do now even in the context of this I ran into a book because again it was one of those things that was talked about within this um, brief write-up and it was written by Thomas Kahn now probably 
mispronouncing it because I'm country as hell and plus it's not very relevant at this point but it was his critique of history of science now why do I deal with any aspect that deals in the history of science when it comes to law now the first part of that is the understanding of evolution while we understand the basic or the basis of human rights we also understand that those rights are written and structured out through Supreme Court ruling and federal guidelines through those Supreme Court rulings becomes the evolution why because the definition becomes more and more clear as I told you the law is situational as certain situations evolve so does the law so when we're talking about the history of science we can actually go back and look at the history of law because again just like we talk about precedents that are set we go through Terry v Ohio and then that takes us to Arizona v Grant that takes us to other um, Miranda v Arizona it takes us to other cases Hybel v Nevada that kind of tightens those things that are stated within Terry v Ohio even the aspects of a scientific notion of police creating a hypothesis oh yes I pause for dramatic effect because I want you to understand police tactics involve guessing police tactics involve science now so I was curious I picked up the structure of scientific revolutions by Thomas Kahn now I actually picked up a second edition now I tell everybody you want the oldest copies because those are the ones that give you the greatest context because it's close to the original well the second edition was the oldest one I could find so that's the one I read it was actually a very interesting read so if you like it the structure of scientific revolutions by Thomas Kahn is only about 270 pages so it took me a little more than a day to actually read it and what he spoke about was the transformation and dialectic uh, the thesis and uh, and thesis and synthesis into the framework of scientific and political change that serves as a model of evolution of legal principles yeah that's a whole lot of big words to say he understood how someone guessing and understanding the process itself starts out he understands the analytical portions of how the evolution should take place and then the synthesis pretty much how is reacting or responding through those applications now when we're talking about each step of those those are the situationals that happen that evolve from the original pretty much notions which all stem from human rights and constitutional law or constitutional restrictions and the paradigm the entire constellation of beliefs values techniques and so on shared by a given community as the fixed reference points in the flux of history
Now, I said that to say this. You look at something that happened on yesterday. Ruth Bader Ginsburg passed away at 87 years old. And her term was one where she stood on certain principles. She did not waver on principles. Now, are there some decisions that she made in her stance that were overridden? Absolutely. But did she allow her principles and her mind state to evolve? Or was it actually one of those things that was kind of stuck in time? When you look at some of her decisions to vote for or against certain aspects of new or more concise and precise law, you look at the fact that she saw law one way. She did not understand, in my point of view, just my opinion, she didn't understand the total evolution of situations. Because a situation that happens in 1964 generally might be a little different 60 years later. Just going to say that. It, it might be a little different 60 years later because 64, we didn't have radios. 64, we didn't have the willy-nilly or the rambunctious actions of police officers just not following law. We had a better idea of what things are. Now, we have a thing where police aren't being held liable because we're being told that it's not possible to do so because of police unions, because of qualified immunity. And there was even a case where the Supreme Court and Ginsburg were supposed to decide on qualified immunity. And then we had this thing called COVID-19 and it shut down the world. And in the aspects of shutting down the world, there was no decision that was made. However, comma, Mally v. Briggs still stands as the guidelines of what can, need, and will be done. I'm going to say that again. Can, need, and will be done. And what we're doing is making sure that everything remains as it should. And this is some of the things that Thomas Cohn spoke about. The actual evolution of what it is that we're looking at. The actual evolution of what we're practicing. Because while the basic principles remain the same, it remains that constant. There are certain aspects of that principle that do fluctuate. That does change from one being to the next being. That does change from one situation to the next situation. And it also allows for a different, a new practice a new application a new light and that is the battle cry right now in this current political economic and social society when you're seeing people riot because a cop does not understand the application of force that's allowed 
doesn't understand that their first duty is preservation of life. They don't understand that the human being, <laughs> you know what, because I'm, I, let me, I'm gonna actually change something a little bit because one of the things that I had a conversation with one of my friends, and I do mean it this way because I love this woman, and it's because it was one of those where, you know what, I'm tired. So you getting ready to stop tagging me and post because I'm going to go ahead and give you some real stuff. Because a lot of times I like to stay off Facebook because when I get on Facebook, I'm tagged in a lot of things. And being tagged in these things, I feel it necessary that I comment. I have no control. I have the right to remain silent, but I don't have the ability to. So in the midst of a con, <laughs> I guess you call it a conversation. Because it was almost like a back and forth text battle that was played out online. But it, it goes to the point of, at some point, when someone's asking, can you please treat me as a human being? And you have a problem with that. You might be the problem. I'm going to say that one more time. When someone's begging please treat me as a human being treat people that look like me as a human being treat people that you come in contact with as a human being and you have a problem with that you might be the problem needless to say that i was kind of you know the thread was deleted and i was blocked but at the end of the day it is what it is because at the if i have to beg you to treat me as a human being and your issue is the fact that I'm asking you to treat me as a human being you're the problem I don't care if you like it that's my view of the world because it's not like I'm asking you do you do you want strawberry syrup on your ice cream no nobody give a shit about that but I do give a shit about treating someone as a human being I don't care what your economic feelings are or bases are in life the standard of life is love if i ask you to just love me as you love yourself why is that a problem is it because you don't love yourself is it because you don't see yourself as human is it that you don't see your loved ones as humans those are the issues that i have because those are the questions that aren't being asked and I actually, I actually tripped out because I was telling somebody one day, I'm going to get back on subject. I was telling somebody one day, I have two issues because I was sitting down one day and this young lady told me, everything I love about you is the exact reason I hate you. And it kind of threw me because she pretty much called me the ultimate enigma. And I kind of agreed with her about a week ago. Because I hate for people around me when I'm attempting to help them. I Stop thinking. I always tell people, just stop thinking. The problem is my very presence invokes thought. The questions I ask, my ability to point out and paint the picture requires you to think. It requires you to dig deeper than where you are. I don't allow you to be surface when you're dealing with me.
But at the same time, that's the conundrum. Because when you're talking about this, the legal means in, a, in an aspect of application, sometimes it's beyond thought. But at the same time, I'm giving you something that requires you to think about it. Y'all don't hear me. I'm, a, I'm about to start preaching in here, but y'all don't, I, you know, I ain't going to do that right now. I'll get into it later. Now, I'm going to get back on subject because the paradigm is the right of vigorous defense. The right of the defendant to protect himself without judicial interference. Now, most of you, just like myself, you've run into some actions where you were trying to pretty much do something like a Freedom of Information Act request for your stuff. Things that pertain to you. Or you filed a motion for discovery in your case that was about you. And you had things not be given to you that belonged to you. Or you had your stuff taken without just cause. And when you asked about it, it was a problem. And then they have issue with your right to a vigorous defense. They have issue with you asking for what they're supposed to turn over. They have issue with you actually defending yourself and speaking up about it. They have issue with you placing things on the record that is not favorable to them. These are the things that I want to help kind of interject on because I've even had a judge tell someone I was aiding as their legal consultant. I can't even be in the room, although they've paid me to be there, although it's on record that I'm part of that legal hearing, I guess, to only later come back and say, you know what, I can't violate their right to counsel. Now, later you're going to hear me go deeper into that because when they're doing these things, they use baseless threats and they say things to you that only apply if you are scared. And the weight of unresolved problem creates a crisis in the professional community when some defendants unnecessarily prolong litigation, increase expenses, and force plaintiffs into premature settlement and postures. The weight of unresolved problems create a crisis in the professional community. But yet, this is the exact same thing they're doing on the criminal side. They're creating a crisis. They're creating chaos. They prolong litigations by postponing, by multiple arraignments, because we haven't put in right to a speedy trial. They do things to increase expenses and they fourth plaintiffs into premature plea bargains. But they have issue when defense attorneys 
do it to them. I want you to keep that in mind because I'm, I'm going to keep reading it. I'm going to keep stating it because that is the issue that we're talking about. We're talking about the judicial want to not have a vigorous defense. And who does it affect the most? Those that are needing it the most. When you're talking about a society where 75% of their society makes less than $40,000 a year. 75% of Americans make less than $40,000 a year. Because I don't know about you, but I've noticed there's a lot of McDonald's and fast food places out here, and I'm pretty sure most of them are not making more than $40,000 a year. The owners are. Owners, a lot of the owners are probably making more than $40,000 a month. But those that are working there, which is generally a lot, they're not. And this is one of those where somebody's got to make the fries. Those are the people that need the help the most. Those are the ones that need the vigorous defense. Why? Because they don't have access to those that will offer them a vigorous defense. They don't have access to those that specialize in a vigorous defense. They don't have access to time necessary for a vigorous defense. And what happens, and the paradigm shift, or the paradigm shift, occurs when competing theories seek resolution of problems. And various solutions have been offered in federal statutes, Supreme Court decisions, and state actions, and then passed together by courts and litig litigating bodies to confront the abuses of excess advocacy. I'm going to say that one more time. That was a whole lot. They're looking for solutions to stop the one thing that is necessary. And they're doing this by attacking the one thing that is lacking. The absolute lack of adequate advocacy for the poor. They don't want you to have a vigorous defense. They don't want you putting on a vigorous defense. And they hope that you don't understand the context of a vigorous defense. Now I'm gonna I'm gonna go into something and while I'm reading, I'm gonna break it down a little bit. Now, in the development of any science, the first received paradigm is usually felt to account quite successfully for most of the obvious observations and experiments easily accessible to the scientists practitioners now one of the things i always tell people is that you don't know what's a problem or what you need a solution for until you have the problem that's a problem because if you don't know you have an issue how can you have a solution for that issue so yeah you got to go through something to get something but we can't have litigation until something happens. We can't have clearly established until something happens. We can't have accountability until something happens. 
these are the things that are lacking the most. These are also things that are part of a vigorous defense. So further development, therefore, or ordinarily calls for the construction of elaborate equipment, the development of a third, <laughs> well, hell, apparently I don't have it, whatever it is, vocabulary and skills, and a refinement of concepts that increasingly lessens their resemblance to their usual common sense prototypes. Now, we talk about the language of law often. We do very little practicing of it. And many of us have no idea, even with me saying certain things like Latin moves to court, or even understanding context. When I'm taking things out, just like whenever I spoke about whenever I'm writing a certain motion, I put in there, this will not delay this proceeding. Because I understand there are certain things they're going to try to use. So instead of allowing them to use them to go against me, I take it away from them. Before they ever have a chance to object, I take the objection away. So these are the tactics, and that's exactly what this is. It's a strategic tactic to actually vigorously defend oneself. And what happens in the midst of doing this is now we have context. We have a place to start. We have a place to go. We have a place to be. We have a vision of what it is and where we should go. And now, the biggest part of this is knowing that it can be executed flawlessly and you can do it with confidence. So, when we think about the ideals of science and law, we think about the application and the context of what it is that we have and what we'll see. We then begin to understand that the seeing itself is bigger than we can actually conceive and believe. So the next step we have to pretty much take part in is the enjoyment of the process. And no, I'm not talking about the 76ers, but I can give you a golden state of mind. Trusting the process and not trusting the system is where many of us need to get to. Because understand, they will do things that are not lawful. Why? Because they are not trained on proper law. That's where I come in. I give you an idea where you need to go, where you need to be, how you need to get there. I offer you that roadmap because through application becomes perfection. Now, I'm getting ready to give you your first commercial. What I want you to take into this commercial break is the thought of what it is that you see as a vigorous defense, what it is that you see as your absolute right for life and at life. What it is that you believe should happen in this legal evolution?
And the last part of that is, what do you see as your part in that evolution? So, first commercial break. I believe we're going to have probably just one more in this one. But I want you to also leave me a comment. Think about something that you want to say to me and how you want to say it. And then leave it and let's go. Be back after this break. Welcome back from that commercial break. Well, here's the one thing I want you to understand is there are a lot of things when we're talking about the legal principles and the evolution against a background of social upheaval and circumstances. There was a lot of things when we're talking about the absolute right to a vigorous defense. And when we're talking about it, we're talking about the tactics that are done mostly in a civil context. But I want you to understand something. It's done by the prosecution in criminal cases and even some cases where I want to give you an example of vigorous defense where a lot of people don't like how it's being handled. And this is going to be in the context of a civil procedure. Now, most people don't understand or have an issue with wrongful termination. And rightfully so. I'm going to give you an instance. There was a conversation I was having a couple weeks back where I was speaking about a woman who was wrongfully terminated. Now, what happens generally is in the wrongful termination, the employer generally figures out like, okay, I did this wrong. I walked into a lawsuit, but here's what I'm going to do. This is tactic number one. This is the most common. This is the most classic one. And or what you would consider common practice or in this place, commonplace, because this is the strategy that is employed by big companies. What they'll do is offer you an opportunity at a severance package. Generally, the severance package will not be what you were making or in a comparable rate to what you would have gotten to pretty much leave or if you had just left on your own. So what it is is just to shut you up and get you by. They did similar things during the foreclosure crisis where they was offering people $1,400, $2,500, to actually get out of properties that were worth $200,000, $300,000 because they were in the midst of not being able to pay for these homes or whatnot. But even in the midst of doing that, the severance package itself is not something that can be satisfactory because generally when you're being offered a severance package, you are making probably a six-figure income. So your offer is generally not going to be in an area where it allow you to actually find another six-figure job unless you're just that hot. Most cases, you're not. So what then happens if you reject that offer? Because again, this is strategic. This is the vigorous defense in which they hate. They then offer you an opportunity to take them to court. But they don't offer a court. They offer mitigation or mediation, 
which is generally you and one other person that has no real legal authority to sit down at a table and come to an agreement, which generally is not in your favor because it's their choice, their arena, their side. They pick everything. It's just like what Floyd Mayweather considered the A-side. They're the A-side. Why? Because he who has the money has the power. What they'll then do is stall every appearance that you have, everything that you bring forth to mitigate the things that they're saying or doing, they'll stall those. Those stall tactics is similar to what a prosecutor would do when they have you go to multiple arraignments, especially when they know you're coming from another city or you're coming from another town or there's a great distance for you to travel or there's some strain on the distance of your travel. Or in a lot of cases, what they'll do is when you're supposed to be in one courtroom, they place you in another. But again, those are strategic principles that are being done to kind of help you go into what is the last phase, the settlement phase, or in a prosecutional standpoint, it'll be the plea stage, where you'll plea to something that's lesser than what you're charged with. In their case, it'll be something that will be probably around what you agreed or what you actually got rid of the first time you sat down for your severance package. Won't be much better. A lot of times it is actually worse. So it's one of those things that you have to understand. Because one of the things that Ruth Bader Ginsburg's death brought upon was the the paradigm, the entire celestial of beliefs, values, techniques, and so on shared by a given community as the fixed reference point in the flux of history. The paradigm is the right to rigorous defense, the right of a defendant to protect himself without judicial interference. A lot of this is done in cases where I'm assisting in and working as a legal consultant. Some instances they call them jailhouse lawyers. In some instances you have someone that will be called or considered a next friend because these are the people that allow a defendant the right to protect him or herself without judicial interference. Because even when someone's choice is interfered with by a judge, they are taking away someone's Sixth Amendment right of choice of counsel. Now, I'm going to say something because I did a video regarding the choice of counsel, and then I'm going to get back on topic. The choice of counsel is not a guarantee of the quality of counsel. You have the right to choose who you want to be your legal mouthpiece. Generally, those are done through things such as powers of attorney for a particular situation, such as real estate, such as health, such as what they be, would deem a medical proxy, or even in legal matters. Some will offer that to an attorney, in fact. Others offer that to someone with, that's learned in law. And one of the things that I love about it is that our legal systems makes a very distinct reference to both sides 
therefore leaving a very clear distinction from what they are. Now, they'll use words like, oh, you're practicing to be an attorney. And those are just words to scare you, to offer an intimidation factor. They're not real because that's where we have the false expectations appearing real. Because understandings, one learned in law understands those words are done or are said and uttered for a particular response. When those responses change, so does action. Because only D'Antoni thinks someone making adjustments to responses is in the midst of panic. So, I'll get back on this, but understanding that you have your choice, you have the right, because what you want to make sure you're doing at every aspect is pursuing your right to a vigorous defense at every aspect of a legal matter. That's why you have the right to have someone speak on your behalf at every aspect of the le from the time that you're um, arrested to the time you're booked, to the time that you're represented for arraignment, to the time that you're represented for bond, to the time that you're represented at any hearing in the midst of that, such as a preliminary hearing, a MAP hearing, or a Wade hearing, you also have the right for someone to represent you at trial because you can challenge evidence that's brought forth by you because the ones that has to answer are those that are making the accusations. That is part of being or part of the vigorous defense. If you watch the videos, you also see that I speak about the American Bar Association's guidelines for those that are doing defense because there is an added liability for those that are defending. Now, when you have a public defender, you have to understand how they work. And then you also have to understand how to work them. Because when you take yourself out of the position of the authoritarian and you give it to someone else, understand you are acting in a means of incompetence. You are showing a level of incompetence. Now, in certain aspects, that's okay. Because everybody can't be the manager of McDonald's. Somebody's got to make the fries. But just like Ford, he said, I don't know how to work every piece of this equipment. He said, but I understand how to go in and make sure everybody that works a piece of equipment understands how to do it. That's what we're doing. We're helping you get the bones of not necessarily knowing how to write a motion, not necessarily knowing how to present a motion, but being able to put people in positions to be successful when they are writing motions, when they are presenting the motion, when they are doing things at different stages of your defense. That is the vigorous defense. That is the thing that they have issue with because they want you to accept any and everything that is being brought to you. And the weight of unresolved problems creates a crisis in the professional community when some defendants unnecessarily prolong increased expenses and force plaintiffs into premature settlements and postures. A paradigm shift occurs when competing theories seek resolution of the problems. Now, I told you before we went in a break, I was going to read something and do a breakdown. 
Because I want you to understand something. Our greatest asset is what we have to understand. We also have to be able to look at the one fact that remains. And it's the absolute lack of adequate advocacy for defense. I'm going to say that one more time. It's the absolute lack of adequate ad advocacy for defense. Because we're leaving people. You know, just flat out. When you have 63% of people on death row getting out because they are then stuck there because they took a plea. When you have an option of an Alfred plea, and it's just to say, I'm innocent, but... Because that's what an Alfred plea is. I'm innocent, but I'm going to maintain my innocence, but I'm going to jail. I'm going to maintain my innocence, but I'm going to serve time. I'm going to maintain my innocence, but I'm going to be punished for it. That's exactly what an Alfred plea is. Because even with an Alfred plea, a defendant, a defense counsel is cool with you taking that because they do not want to step in front of that bullet and defend you with everything they have. And a lot of times it's because lack of funds, because there is not war on the wealthy. It is the war on the poor. Because the poor is the least represented and the poor is the most abused. That's what you have to understand. Those are the things that I'm speaking about. Because when we're sitting down today and we're talking and we're going through the motions and the manners and understanding the absolutes that are done when we know we have a broken system, when we have a system that can't apologize but will punish even the innocent, there's something wrong with that. Because when we have a system that says we're going to call you a convict, because you've done something wrong. And then when 63%, two out of every three people, just, oh, okay, you know, I'm gonna back it up. When you have someone that makes a decision three times and they're wrong two of those three times and we're calling it okay, that's a problem. When we're accepting and we're standing behind the blue line and they're wrong two out of three times. You know what? Because I call them Babe Ruth numbers because they're swinging for the fences every time. And the problem is you have too many people that are being charged with crimes that, one, aren't crimes, and then, two, pleading guilty to things due to inconvenience, due to fear, not because they're actually doing something wrong. You have a multitude of people that are actually being executed in the streets for the idea of a gun, Versus those that are actually shooting people with a gun. Because the mind is so powerful that it'll create danger. It'll create anger. It'll create escalation even when there's not any. These are the things that we are teaching ourselves to actually combat. Because when you're looking at certain cases. Because I'm actually going to go into... A couple of cases 
and one is the Laquam and Daniel, which is going to go into the Jacob Blake case. But I'm going to give you a few cases in the middle of that because of a conversation that I had on Facebook. And I want to make sure that it's heard. I want to make sure that the illustration is clear because the one thing that is clear, but unfortunately widely accepted, is the fact that there is no police procedure nor is there a Supreme Court case that allows for a police officer to shoot a suspect in the back. Now, a lot of people say, oh, well, Tennessee v. Gardner. Unfortunately, Tennessee v. Gardner speaks about a fleeing suspect and using something other than the vehicle as a weapon. Doesn't say anything about shooting the suspect in the back. I'm a, but again, those are things I'm going to get into because I want you to understand because that's what I'm giving you. I'm giving you context, I'm giving you application. I want to make sure everything that I'm doing is something that's understandable. So when we talked about Terryville, Ohio, I talked about police officers being scientists because even in Terryville, Ohio, they talked about guessing and used the words hypothesis because that's all it is. It's a scientific guess. And then what they do is that they fit evidence to their guess. Now, that's why the vigorous defense is so important because it's up to that defense attorney to make them find the truth and make sure that they're not just piecing together something just because it's convenient, just because it's easy. Because we know we have people that with average intelligence that are doing these things. So we can't allow someone with an average intelligence because I talked about the same dude that's making fries. You complain about this $9 an hour guy. That's the exact same guy that's putting on a police uniform. Because I even talk about the fact that people say, well, cops are brave. But then we talk about that's the exact same person that was getting the hell beat out of them in high school. Now they lifting weights. Now they got a badge and gun. We talk about how they're not a very smart person. But then we look at they pass a police psyche vow and they've shot two people. We talk about how the one guy that I dealt with, he actually told me I don't shake hands. And unfortunately, I get it. I get it. You know, everybody's not meant to be friendly or cordial or any or courteous or any of those things. But if your job makes you that upset, you either eat your gun or stop putting on the uniform. Those are the things that I, I'll say that because at the end of the day, if your job makes you that angry or uneasy, you shouldn't be doing it because that's why there's a high stress level because you're creating stress. You're creating situations that are unnecessary. You're coming into something with an attitude. And here's the great part about it. I've asked the police officer, I've asked multiple police officers, how many times have you shown up and people been happy to see you? How many times have you shown up and it made somebody's day? You're going to people at horrible times in their life. You're stopping someone and creating a bad day. These things that go along with your uniform. So you shouldn't expect somebody to be happy to see you. Other than the goddamn dog at your house. Other than that, that's it. But when we talk about in the development of any science, the first received paradigm is usually felt to account quite successfully for most of the observations and experiments 
easily accessible at the science practitioners. We're well beyond that. Because I want to talk about the escalations that we're having. Because there was a point in which there were people that were out and they were saying, the police are beating us. The police are beating us. The police are beating us. And then we have Black History Month where we talk, looking at the police turning hoses on people or other human beings. We're having police release dogs on the other human beings. And we look at it and we transform the mindset that at one point that was okay. Because we're showing it as an educational tool. The programming that most of us miss we turn it on and we turn it off and then we don't want to talk about it but we show it once a year mandatorily and then we celebrate it by desecrating our flag by creating something because here's the one thing I love about it you want me to believe this is a nice person but your actual insignia is that of the Punisher. And if most people remember that, remember the Punisher, he was a murderer. He was a corrupt cop. That's who you're using as your logo, but you want me to think you're a good guy. That's who you're using as your logo, but then you want me to think that you're someone that's trustworthy. These are the things that we need to take note of. Because when we're even talking about this, I want you to understand this, the one thing that I'm doing. I'm painting a picture. I'm offering you the art of storytelling. Those that listen to a podcast, that's all you're doing. You're listening to a story. You're getting a mental picture of what it is I'm talking about. Hell, many of you that haven't seen me are probably just thinking about what the hell I look like. And whatever it is, is wrong. Because I'm immaculately gorgeous. But understanding the picture itself is whatever you want it to be. But I have to give it to you in a means to where not only is it simple, but it's plain for you to see. And then after I make it plain for you to see, I have to illuminate it. I have to make everything that stands out, that's supposed to stand out, I have to make that a vivid light. I have to offer you something that leaves you with a little bit of substance. I have to give you the things that aren't just low-hanging fruit. I have to be that bridge for you. That's what's done in a vigorous defense. Because that's all this is. It's the art of storytelling. But it's understanding when the story needs to be told but the preparation for the story begins at arrest with the right to remain silent forcing them to do their job from stop to finish understanding let 10 go free then one innocent suffer so even if we have to allow some guilty to go free just so one innocent doesn't suffer 
That's what the vigorous defense is for. Because everybody is entitled to a vigorous defense. Because you're not the one that has to answer for it unless you're the one that's making the mistake. Those mistakes are generally done by the accuser. Because I did a I did a podcast or a video um probably about a year, year and a half ago, where it talks about the defendant stands only on his legal rights. That wasn't the name of it. It was man only has the rights he can defend. I actually reworded it to read man only has the rights he will defend. Because just to give you again a little context there was a lot of rioting after the George Floyd murder because that plain and simple that's what it was and you saw millions literal millions of people rioting campaigning they were they were doing a lot of things someone asked me why was I not out tearing up and doing all the all the other stuff, or rioting and all the other stuff, protesting. And I told him, real simple, how many of those people do you think will stand up in a courtroom and do that exact same thing? Will fight with that sort of vigor for themselves? Yeah, I paused for dramatic effect because that's exactly what I got. Because if you're looking at less than 5% now, imagine when 95% are guilty because they are damaging property, because they are out hurting people, because they're doing the very thing that they are saying is wrong that's being done to them. Because an eye for an eye, we both lose our sight. But if I can't stand on something, I need to be right. I need to be able to stand up for me. 95% will not stand up for themselves. That's why I tell people, if you're scared, don't call me. If you won't fight for you, I'm damn sure not going to fight for you. If you're not going to stand up for you, I damn sure I'm not going to stand up for you. I'll stand up with you. We can stand up together. We can prop each other up, but I'm not going to fight for you. I've done that. I've drugged hundreds of people in the courtroom. I've literally propped them up, held, you got to do this, you got to do this, you got to do this. And then when it was time, they were like, uh, that bastard right there did me wrong. But it was that bastard that made sure you kept your home. It was that bastard that made sure child support stayed off you. It was that bastard that was making sure you kept riding in your car. It was that bastard that made sure your employer paid you. So those days are gone for me. I'll fight with you. I won't fight for you. And that's the problem. Because most people are not willing to fight for themselves. I literally have people like that that call me every day. And I tell you, if you're scared, don't call me. Because if you aggravate me, the only thing you're going to get is ignored. Or I'm going to charge you $250 aggravation fee. It's your choice. 
you want to aggravate me go ahead and send the 250 dollars up front and then you can aggravate me and then i'm going to charge you some other stuff just because because if you're going to waste my time guess what you're going to pay for it and that's not a one-time fee that's every aggravation because at the end of the day if there's something that's needed, I'm going to direct you. If you're calling me for guidance, I'm going to guide you. I don't do anything fast. I don't do anything in a hurry. So if you're calling me today and you got caught tomorrow, that's on you. I have nothing to do with that. If you want something jiffy popped or a template, God bless you. But you can go to somebody else for that. I'm not doing it. Because at the end of the day, just because you have a similar case doesn't mean you have the same case. Just because you have a similar talking point don't mean you have the same talking point. That's why I don't do templates. I give you guidance. Here's, here's the bigger part about that. I want you to understand the context when I'm talking about the defendant stands only on his legal rights. Because you understand... That's pretty much the exact same thing for standing. Someone only has standing if they can say the defendant has done something directly to them. That's the only time they have standing. Other than that, there's nothing to adjudicate. So, when we're talking about the simplicity of a defendant standing only on his legal rights... The plaintiff having taken his case to court, the defendant has the privilege of calling upon him to prove it to the satisfaction of the judge or jury and his guilty of no wrong in exercising this privilege. Because that is vigorous defense. That is challenging everything that's brought in front of you. That's confronting your accuser. That's part of the adversarial system. That is what it is. Because again, I tell her, I use the equation of the bully. The bully's gonna keep hitting you until you hit him back. Until you stand on your own two feet, throw a punch back, he's gonna keep hitting you. Or in some cases, she. Sometimes you had mean girls. But either way, until you do something, they're gonna keep doing the same thing because you gotta give them a reason to do something else. Because just like one thing that Mike Tyson talked about, because he, he has a lot of great sayings, but you know what? Actually, I'm going to actually rewind this. I'm going to go back to a, a good friend of mine, Master Sergeant Henry Graves. I was actually doing some basketball stuff, and one of my things is uh, turn around over my right shoulder. Everybody in El Paso knew that. So he came to me one day, and he said, well, I want to I show you something. So I'm like, I'm 40-plus years old. What the hell are you going to show me? So he gives me a couple little moves. Boom, boom, boom. He says, same move. You don't do anything different except this. And then he would hit me, do something different. So when I started doing something different, I asked him, I said, well, what made you do that? He said, because when you do something, now you make them have to do something different. And I was like, wow. Your challenges is the way to make them do something different. Until, for every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. If you don't react, guess what happens? You get ran over. Then you complain and whine about it. 
until you fight back in an adversarial system. That is your contract to fight. Until you decide to fight, it's going to keep happening. Just like I told, told everybody, people say, I want to be left alone, I want to be left alone, I want to be left alone. But the problem is they don't do things to be left alone. Gonna say that again. I want to be left alone. I want to be left alone. I want to be left alone. But they don't do things that allow them to be left alone. Now, when you talk about these things, it's understanding you're gonna keep getting the same challenge or a very similar challenge until you overcome it. Because the one thing that has been promised to you throughout life is challenges. Even Vision spoke about it in the Age of Ultron. He spoke about. Our very strength invites challenges. The better you get at something, the greater your challenges become. Just understand that because you're going to always have an adversary. And even in some cases, Father Time is undefeated because Father Time is the greatest adversary. You see people looking for the fountain of youth to beat Father Time. Father Time keeps rolling on Mother Nature and Father Time, they work together and they are hard. Oh my God, they're just one of the best tag teams ever. WW who? Because as long as you have an adversary, you have an opportunity to grow. You have an opportunity to make them do something different. Because the plaintiff initiates the action and the defendant responds. I'm going to say that one more time. The plaintiff initiates the action. And the defendant responds instinctively. Self-defense is the first law of nature. Many of us go against nature by just accepting what's being thrown at us. Many of us go against nature, our very instinct, by accepting. Well, no, 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 I ain't going to challenge that because, you know, they just going to do me like this. I'm going to be Dionne Ward, even though I ain't, I always complain that I can't read nobody's mind, but I'm going to make a decision for somebody else. And then you wonder why you give breath to some foolishness and the foolishness happens. You give life to, you know what, I'm, I'm not even going to preach to y'all today. I'm going I'm to keep it rolling. But I want you to understand something. Life and death comes from the tongue. What you give life to is what you speak. Just like, you know what, I'm not, I'm, you know, I am going to get into it. Because one of the things that I always tell the fathers, speak life over your children. Because the one thing I learned is you speak life over your children, they will be blessed. Because I've already blessed them and he shall be blessed. I'll give him some, but that's, I gave, I gave the best one away. The great part about it is with me. The great part about it is with me, you have an opportunity to be more, to be greater than you were yesterday. The power of Kassan. Be better today than I was yesterday. Be better tomorrow than I am today. These are things that you have to understand because what I'm giving you is not something that is going against nature it's the very nature that you were born with the very instinct that's inside of you already i'm not doing anything let's understand what coaching does michael jordan talked about when he left um north carolina how doug collins is what made him michael jordan 
he didn't like Phil Jackson at first because Phil wanted to take the ball away from him. Doug was the one giving it to him. And what most people forget is Doug Collins also did it to Grant Hill. Doug Collins also did to Allen Houston. Doug Collins was the guy that gave it the superstar and allowed them to flourish. They made them greater than what they were. Simply because he said, you know what, do what you do. That's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to give you the ball. Do what you do. Because the plaintiff initiates the action and the defendant responds instinctively. Self-defense is the first law of nature. Vigorous defense advocates the freedom of the individual to defend actions in good faith. The problem that most people, plaintiffs, or in this case, prosecutors have with a vigorous defense is that they don't trust that it's in good faith. Just like we don't trust prosecutors are performing in good faith when they don't turn over discovery. When they don't do the things that we feel is necessary or even the federal government recognizes next necessary. Now, I'm going to give you something too. In a California appellate court in Burgess v. Payne, the court repeatedly stressed the importance of permitting counsel to be a vigorous advocate. The reason being is because we have a system that will not apologize. We have a system that deals in absolutes. We have a system that will execute even though someone's innocent. Because it's not about the truth. When you have an opportunity for somebody to plead, an Alfred plea, because they're innocent and they want to maintain their innocence but still be punished for something they didn't do, it is a flawed system. Call it what you need to, but understand what I'm saying. I didn't do this, but I'm going to accept punishment for something I did not do. But I'm going to maintain the fact I didn't do it. And our system is okay with that. And even in Young v. Redmond, another California appellate court, the American rule is based upon the philosophy that one should not be penalized for merely defending or prosecuting a lawsuit and that the poor might be unjustly discouraged from instituting actions to, to vindicate their rights if the penalty for losing included the fees of their opponent's counsel. The whole thing is, you want to deter me from something just because of my financial restrictions for the most part. I'm going to say that one more time. You want to penalize me for my inability to pay. You want to force me into a plea bargain. Just like you do with someone with a severance pay. You want to force me into a position to where I need you. You want to force me into a position where I have very little choice other than to accept what you're giving me. And that's when you hear the prosecutor say, well, I'm doing you a favor. Even though they're the ones that are prolonging something. 
and they're the ones not turning over evidence. They're the ones that have a liability or actual duty to disclose, but don't. But they're doing you a favor. And then they get upset when you are vigorously defending or defended your rights. That's those are those are the things I want you to take with you for a few minutes. I want you to think about that. Because it's a problem if you're defending yourself. It's a problem if you're asking for your stuff. It's a problem. But it's okay if they hide it. It's okay if they lie. It's okay if they're not good people. Because eh, you still need to trust us. Just like the Smurf should have trusted Gargamel. Just like Jerry should have trusted Tom. Just like <laughs> the Roadrunner should have trusted the Coyote. Just like I gave you the story of the snake. <laughs> you should have let the snake in the house, even though you knew it was a snake. The right of vigorous defense protects good faith and financially disadvantaged defendants as well as defendants with novel defenses. Because the whole idea of a vigorous defense is to make sure the prosecution does not overstep. The whole idea is to protect one's liberty. But they have an issue with that. Because the vigorous defense allows any feasible tactic, even one that is willfully, initially malicious and fraudulent. It allows that. That's why it's called a tactic. That's why it's called strategy. Because those are the things that are being implemented to pretty much counter what's being thrown at people. Because at the end of the day, many of us are not put in a position where we're able to succeed because of financial restraints. We don't need a whole lot of convincing to know that I got to show up at work on Monday. We don't need a whole lot of convincing to know that I still got rent due on the first of the month. We don't need a whole lot of anything to know that my baby like dumb shit like lights and food and the ability to put on clothes. We don't need all that. But these are the things that they want you to feel like they're giving you. And many of us willingly accept it. And then we criticize them for giving it. Because we refuse to vigorously defend ourselves. We refuse to follow the very law of nature. Now, what happens is unrestrained advocacy and the well-reasoned inability to speak right now pursuit of justice now when you're talking about the unrestrained ad advocacy I, you know I might need to get the accent out me but the unrestrained advocacy is basically the willingness to challenge those that are coming against you the willingness to stand up for oneself the willingness to say everything that you're saying is wrong and the well-reasoned 
pursuit of justice because we understand that our system is horribly flawed. And if we don't fight, if not you, who? If not us, when? <laughs> you know, if not here, now, whatever. But you understand what it, what it is I'm saying. Because we're in an era where we have selective prosecutions. We look at the fact that you hear, oh, they can um, get an indictment on a piece of paper. But then you look at something that's on video that's as plain as day and say, well, I don't know. It looked questionable. And how is it possible? Or then you have multiple grand juries such as ours. We were indicted on RICO probably a couple days before the trial because they couldn't get a true bill with the first three. So understanding that these things are done for not reasons of crimes, not reasons of anything other than malicious intent. So when you are going at them, you know, what I, I, I call it karma. When you hand them the karma that they're asking for, or giving them the equal and opposite reaction or the very nature of self-defense in a response, you're the problem. Because a federal statute awards expenses and attorney fees to parties injured by unreasonable and vexatious multiplication of legal proceedings. Note how it didn't say for which side. It didn't say for defense, didn't say for prosecution. Because when you don't file a motion for speedy trial and you have to go to trial after trial after trial after hearing after hearing after hearing, that shit adds up. Court costs adds up. Your travel time adds up. Your attorney fees adds up. A federal statute awards expenses and attorney fees to parties injured by this unreasonable and vexes multiplication of legal proceedings because it's unnecessary. If you're saying I did something, let's get it. That's why you have to exercise your right to speedy trial. And when it allowed attorney fees as punitive measure when a party acted in bad faith or for oppressive reasons. Now, I'm going to say this. Did you note how it didn't talk about prosecution or vigorous defense? Because these are things or tactics that are used but they are remedies because remember I told you I'm talking about application whenever I'm going through this. There's remedies for prolonged prosecutions. There are remedies for multiple hearings. There are even an allowance for attorney fees even if you're doing it pro se. And one of the words that they love to use frivolous, bad faith, matters, but refrain from judicially legislating a new tort. Expenses to victims of frivolous and unnecessarily dilatory tactics or actions not based on good faith. Now, these are things that also bring up a malicious prosecution. These are words that they'll often use if you sue police or government officials more than one time. Oh, it's a frivolous lawsuit. It's a frivolous lawsuit. Because remember, I told you, words have power. But it's just like 
a chess move because the, the word frivolous now sets up for the attorney fees. The word frivolous then attaches to everything you do if you do not defend yourself against it. That word becomes powerful because now when you're looking at 28 USC 1927, any attorney or other person admitted to conduct cases in any court of the United States, I'm going to say that one more time because a lot of times you hear people say, Richard, you can't do that. Richard, you didn't do that. You didn't help nobody. You didn't represent nobody because you're not an attorney. Remember I told you a little while ago, there's a very distinct separation. Read that one more time. 28 USC 1927. Any attorney or other person admitted to conduct cases in any court of the United States or territory there is who so multiplies the proceedings in any case as to increase costs unreasonably and vexatiously may be required by the court to satisfy personally such excess costs. Now, a case that goes along with that is Hall v. Cole. 412 US 1 and it's a 1972 case. Now, Hall was the preset case for 28 USC 1927. Now, because it talks about federal practice 54.77. So, again, it goes in. Because words have power. I use the verbiage that does not allow for legal interpretations for a frivolous lawsuit. I always use things or tactics that deal in good faith. Those are the things that separate everybody. And one of the things that, hell, I run into a lot is because I'll tell people when I start a case or I start helping someone, send me what you've already written. And when you talk about things that are already set out, the requirements of me telling you to send over documents, it goes under requirement of reasonable investigation because I have to know what it is that you've said and done. Any law program or a law TV show that you've said, that's what they're doing. Now, one of my favorite shows, Power, has my guy, Method Man. He's playing the attorney. But one of the things he understands is the nature of the beast doesn't change. But he also understands you have to attack every level of the proceeding. You have to go at everything that the prosecutor is saying and doing. You have to watch responses. But you also have to measure your strategy against those responses because you have to be able to prepare you because even some of the things that he's doing is going on to the next part. It's discouraging shotgun pleadings because no one cares what you want, but there is an outcome that you must be a part of the decision on. 
So a lot of times you have an idea what it is. There's somebody else that understands how to get you to where you're trying to go to. My case is Google Maps. Your case might be listening to the person that you're asking to guide you there. Because sometimes that understanding goes beyond you. Because even myself, I have several conversations with multiple people that are in places that I'm trying to get to. Because they already have the map. It doesn't hurt to be led. Because all great leaders were at one point great followers. You have to be able to accept and recognize when change is needed. Because again, that's why you have the Bobby Fishers of the world. You have to learn from not only from your mistakes, but the mistakes of others. You also have to be able to triumph, not only from your own triumphs, but from the triumphs of others. That's why Michael Jordan commented on Kobe. He said, Kobe's the only one that could beat me. Why? Because Kobe was the only one to take everything I did and made it his own. It got to the point you will watch film and you couldn't tell those two guys apart because their moves were damn near identical. That's why it's so easy to overlook him because if you were looking at multiplicity, Kobe would be the first copy. He wasn't quite Jordan, but he was so close. Those are the things that are the separators. You have to figure out what separated Kobe from Mike. What separated Mike from Kobe? What made them different? What made them be in a point to where they can offer something else? Because guess what? Kobe was still talking to Mike. Because Mike was still part of the roadmap he was trying to get through. Mike is still talking to Magic. Why? Because Magic is still the roadmap for where he was trying to get to. There's always someone else that can get you to where you're trying to go to. And it doesn't have to be on your own. Now, recommended as a test of sufficiency of improper defensive pleadings. It requires a proper plaintiff's motion and supporting brief and statutes and judicial discretion constrain the scope of the remedy. That is the very definition of what a sufficient complaint for federal court must entail. Say that one more time. The recommended as a test of sufficiency of proper defensive pleadings. Now, using defensive pleadings. Now, when they use defensive pleadings, they're talking about what must be looked at. What must be challenged. Because what you're going to be set forth now is, this is the complaint. It requires a proper plaintiff's motion. And supporting brief. The proper motion is, is going to the right venue. It's offering whatever court that jurisdiction. Supporting brief, that is the complaint and evidence. Now, in that complaint, you're going to have the statutes. The statutes are what were the violations? Because remember I told you, keep it concise. Nobody cares about your size. What was the violation? Judicial discretion. That would be stairs, Darces, because that means thing that is already set 
and the scope of the remedy. Now, anybody knows if you file against the government, they're going to file a 12B6 because they're going to say there is no remedy. Why? Because most people forget the scope of the remedy. What is it that you want? What are you looking for? You're right in one place, but not where it's supposed to be at. And that's what they're asking. That's why they're filing the 12B6 because there is no remedy. That is a proper complaint. <clears throat> now, here's the here's the great part about it. In National Hockey League versus Metropolitan Hockey Club, that Supreme Court case, or excuse me, not Supreme Court case, um, actually it was a Supreme Court case, 427 U.S. 639-1976 It supported sanctions for discovery abuses. Gonna say that one more time. National Hockey League versus Metropolitan Hockey Club supported sanctions for discovery abuses. And that goes to 427 U.S. 639-1976 because oftentimes you'll hear me talk about how the Brady violations pop up because the prosecution does not want to turn over anything, let alone exculpatory evidence, because they don't want a vigorous defense. And then malicious prosecution and bad faith cross pleadings but fail to establish a cause of action for malicious defense. Because if they are not giving you everything, any tactic that is done that is done within the lawful means because that's the setting up of evidence. That's the making sure things are filed. That's the asking for things multiple times, such as a motion to compel after you do the motion of discovery. And they're still not giving it to you. Guess what? They are now out of bounds. It is no longer your responsibility to do their job for them. And they can't then come back at you because they didn't do what they were supposed to do. And for that, the vigorous defense remains deeply entrenched in the current legal community. Malice coupled with lack of probable cause. Because instantly, most of the things I tell you, when we're talking about any legal precedent or anything such as that, I tell you the crux of any crime is probable cause. Any case, probable cause. Now, what we talk about is the lack of probable cause. Because probable cause provides an objective test of the merits of the defendant's defense. The very probable cause defines the merit. These are the things where the Alfred Pre come up. These are the things which why you have two out of every three choices a police officer make is wrong. Like they are really putting up baseball numbers. Because the defense brought in good faith with some basis in law and fact is a vigorous defense easily distinguished from a malicious defense because just challenging a traffic stop is a good legal defense it's a defense that is based in law it can't be called vigorously or malicious because that is a part of the vigorous defense that is the one thing that cannot be stopped 
as the one thing that should not be stopped. But it is the one thing that is frowned against because they don't want you to have a legal voice. Because the creation of a new tort may lead to a prolification of appeals or even greater volume of complicated litigation. That's their answer. Well, people might appeal if we have vigorous defense. Maybe people appealing like they're doing now and winning in appeals court and Supreme Courts and grand juries and getting out because they're getting re reheard and they're getting costing the states millions, not only going to hearings, but to finish off what should not have been done in the first beginning. That's not a deterrent because not enough people are doing it. And here's the crazier part, because even the malicious defense will solve many of the problems that we have plaguing our legal community. Because they call it malicious only because you're doing the exact same thing in a civil matter that a prosecution does in a criminal matter. Where in fact, you see big companies that are employing this. Why? Because it's big bank, take little bank. One of the things that my father taught me, because he was a poker player. One of the things he said was, you don't play the man, the hand, you play the man. And he played big bank, take little bank. He honestly believed if he had a dollar more than you and y'all were at the same table, you're not supposed to leave with that money because he has more leverage than you do. That's how this game is played. Can I wait you out? That's what they do when you're talking about these separation hearings. That's what they're doing when they're offering you these severance packages. They're trying to wait you out. When they're doing that, they're dragging you from case to case. They're trying to wait you out. Can you can you stay in the rain? They're hitting you with that new. Can you stay in the rain? Because that's what they're asking you. Because such erosion is natural, inevitable, and unprecedented. Unfeathered and unbridled judicial discretion. Because that's what they're looking for. They don't want you constantly out here defending yourself. They don't want you being better than what you are today. Those are your choices. And that is all I have for you right now. I love you guys. Keep supporting the podcast. 99 cents, $4.99, $9.99 or more. And you can do it with Apple Pay. It's as simple as sending me a message on your iPhone to T-H-E-G-O-C-P at gmail.com. Hitting the Apple Pay symbol and setting up some numbers and hitting send. I love you guys. Let's keep going. Let's keep growing. Keep joining the website. We're going to have the master classes rolling. Hey, and we're also going over to Patreon. So we're going to have some exclusive there. And don't miss out on the live shows. I love you guys. And Supreme, out. <laughs>